Amen. We're in the middle of a series right now called Name Dropping. Name Dropping, you know, you can drop a name that helps you, helps you along, like you can drop the name of the CEO to help you. Uh, but here in our series, Name Dropping, we're learning about accessing the power of God's names. God revealed himself through a multiplicity of names, just the same way as, as names like Sir, Honey, Grandpa, Papa, Dad. Those all can refer to the same person, but it's a different part of that person. It's a different side of that person. And God revealed himself in many different ways through the Old Testament, usually because of a thing that happened, a problem that people were going through, and God responded to that problem, showing a part of him, showing a dimension of him, um, so he could be understood more rightly. We're going to look at two names today, and both of these names of God have a connection. The names are El Shaddai and Jehovah Jireh. El Shaddai and Jehovah Jireh. These are names that you very well have have heard before, especially if you're an A.B. Grant fan in the 90s. Really, you know, you, you know El Shaddai. Uh, so you, you may be familiar. You might be able to tell me what you think it means right now. But I, I think that when we do a deep dive and realize the situations in which these names were revealed, like, like God used this name for himself because of something. And I think it's going to give a little bit deeper meaning of El Shaddai and Jehovah Jireh to us today. Most of the names of God, God gave us in response to a situation. And so we're going to take a deep dive into the situation that these names came from. The main question that's answered with both of these names of God, El Shaddai and Jehovah Jireh, the main thing that's answered is this. What should we do when God doesn't make sense? What do we do when God doesn't make sense? Do you ever feel like God doesn't make any sense? You you ever wonder, did you lose your mind, God? not a good way to start a prayer, but I don't know. I wonder if God lost his mind sometimes when I do the right thing and things get harder. Like, why is it harder when I did the right thing? I thought it was supposed to be easier when I did the right thing. Has that ever happened to you? You do the right thing. You get married. You start tithing. You go to school. You kick the habit. You decide to start coming to church. And then you fight more, lose your job, or get, uh, get, into, get into drugs, or I'm sorry, or get drugged into the drama. That's what I wrote. Get drugged into the drama. You don't get into drugs. You get drugged into the drama of school or work. What should you do when God doesn't make any sense? When God seems to have lost his mind, what do you do? There's a situation in the Bible when God seems to have lost his mind. And we see that God tested Abraham in that way, and he passed it one time. He didn't the other. Both names, El Shaddai and Jehovah Jireh, were revealed to Abraham when things did not seem to be going the way that God told Abraham they would go. God gave Abraham a promise. It wasn't coming out. And God revealed something to Abraham in that moment. I think we can learn from that when when we feel like God doesn't make any sense, when things get really confusing, and we start to wonder, God, have you lost your mind? You're on the very edge of understanding God in a new way. God is about to reveal himself in a new way when you think that God's gone crazy. But you'll never know it if you bail. You'll never know it if you run away. You just gotta keep on. 
But when you think God's lost his mind, he's, you're just on the edge of learning more about God. You're, about, you're on the edge of, of seeing more about him. So to understand all of this, we've got to look at the whole big picture of the story of Abraham and this covenant that God made with Abraham. We're going to start in Genesis 12, and we're going to go all the way through to Genesis 22. And in this, in this passage uh, that, that we'll look here in uh, Genesis 12, God made a covenant with Abraham. And you understand covenants now. Covenants are uh, an agreement between mankind and, and God in the Bible. They're, they're an agreement between mankind and God. We have a new covenant today that if you're a Christian, you are a part of it. You might have not have known it was called a covenant, but that's what it was. It's an agreement between us and God. God paid the price for our sins. Jesus died on the cross. That paid the price for our sin. And anybody that looks to him as the answer and puts their life in line with God can have eternal life with him. That's a covenant. That's an agreement with God between man and God. And God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis 12. This is where it all starts. The Lord had said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. Everybody say, bless you. I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. When it comes to blessing, we all like the idea that, you know, I like to receive a blessing. I like to get it. Am I the only person that likes to get a blessing? That's not a blessing. That's half a blessing. We just like to receive it. But the blessing is when you, you get the whole blessing when you receive it and pass it on. God said, I will make you a blessing to the world. I'll bless you to be a blessing to the ends of the, of, ends of the world. I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. Whoever, uh, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Everybody say, through you. So right here in Genesis 12, we see one of the first uh, types, the first uh, foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. It's through Abraham that all nations on earth will be blessed. How did that happen? Through Jesus Christ. This is why all throughout the Bible, even in the book of Matthew, there's genealogy listed. Why in the Bible is there a whole chapter devoted to so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so, so-and-so gave birth to so-and-so? Like, Does it matter? It matters because of this. Because in Genesis 12, God said, I'm going to bless everybody through, through you, Abraham. It's going to be because of your offspring. And Jesus came from Abraham. The, the human part of Jesus came from Abraham. What a blessing. Abraham's expecting it. For this to come true, he has to have a kid. He has to have an heir. Because it's through him that all of mankind will be blessed. And so he's expecting a blessing, and he has to walk in it, and he does. He, he, he does, to give Abraham some credit, he, he moved his whole family to the land God showed him. And he's waiting patiently now for his wife to get pregnant. And it just doesn't happen. His wife can't, can't conceive. So this presents a problem. If Abraham doesn't get a child... God's a liar. All people on earth cannot be blessed through him unless Abraham has an heir. So this covenant can't happen unless Abraham has an heir. Do you see the quandary? He wants to help this happen. So Abraham began doubting God three chapters later. Genesis chapter 15, Abraham said to God, you've given me no children, 
So a servant will be my heir. Do you see, God gave a promise. I'm going to bless the whole world through you, Abraham. That wasn't working out, so Abraham's like, well, maybe you didn't say that. See, my servant will be my heir. That's how I can do it, God. He he decreased what the promise was. A servant will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. No, 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 Abe. It's actually going to come from your body. It's got to come from your body. God says, I meant what I said. It's through you. You'll have many sons, Abraham. Right after that verse, he, he took, God took Abraham outside and he showed him the sky. And he said, you're going to have more children than the stars in the sky. You will be called Father Abraham. You'll have many sons. <laughs> many sons will Father Abraham have. People will sing a songs about it while nodding their head and shaking their hand and waving their arms around. They're going to turn around and sit down, Abe. That was, that was in the Adam paraphrase of Genesis 15. But he said, no, 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 it's, it's through your body. I'm going to bless all of the world. But how? How's God lost his mind? Doesn't happen. Didn't God? I just wonder if Abraham wondered if God had eighth grade health class. It's not how it works. Sarah is not able to conceive God. So if, in an ideal world, at this moment, you would think that, that this word from God would be confirmation to Abraham. And I would have loved to see Abraham say, thank you, Lord, for confirming the promise you put in my heart. I'll keep trusting you and waiting and believing. But that's not what happened. At this point, Abraham doubled down on his logic. He went logical, logical on God. And he doubled down on it. And he and Sarah got together. I just like, think maybe they were having, sipping some decaf at night. And they were like, all right, so God said it's not going to be an heir. That's my servant. He said it actually has to come from my body. What do we do, honey? Genesis 16, now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord's kept me from having tr- children, so go sleep with my slave Perhaps I can build my family through her. And Abraham agreed, like an idiot. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? Abraham agreed to what Sarai said. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived, and Ishmael was born. If the original writer of Genesis, if Moses had emoji back then, I think that they would have stuck in this one. Right? <laughs> what? Anytime you go outside God to help God... You're going to hinder your help. You're going to hinder the help. And that's what happened. This was a, Ishmael was a man-made God assistance program. But God did not need assistance. Abraham's help slowed down the help. It interfered. Ishmael indeed was blessed because he came from Abraham. Ishmael was blessed. But Ishmael was not God's plan. Ishmael was man's plan. And Ishmael and his descendants who we today call the Arabs, Ishmael and his descendants have been fighting against Isaac's descendants ever since. We heard about that in the news just this past week. Why are they fighting? Read Genesis. This is why they're fighting. This is why they're fighting. This right here. The descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac. We see that now. But if you read this passage carefully, Abraham thought he fixed the plan. He thought he solved God's problem. You see, God had a problem, 
and that Sarah couldn't conceive. So Abraham had to fix God's problem. And he had a man-made assistance program to, to conceive Ishmael. This solves it. And if you read, read on, you read carefully, when God told him, no, 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 you're going to have another kid with Sarah, Abraham says, why not Ishmael? He thought he fixed it. He thought his man-made God assistance program was sufficient. He's going along like, everything's good. God finally makes sense. See, I got Ishmael. The blessing's going to, the whole world will be blessed through Ishmael. This is actually what Abraham thought. And then God showed up to set the record straight. Genesis 17, 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. God Almighty is how it's translated. But he said, I am El Shaddai. At this point, Ishmael's 13 years old. Abraham's proud of his boy, Ishmael. But God says, I am El Shaddai. Abraham thought he had logically fixed God's problem. And God showed up and said, I am El Shaddai, the almighty, sufficient one. This is the situation that El Shaddai was revealed as a name of God. This name of God is used 48 times in the Old Testament, and it's translated God Almighty. But there's more to it. When you understand the situation that this name came out of and the meaning of the word Shaddai, you learn just a little bit more about God. The root word of Shaddai is shad, which literally means breast. This root word shad is used elsewhere in the Bible to signify nourishment of babies, nourishment of God's people. It's a word picture. Here's one in Isaiah, uh, chapter 66. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice greatly with her, all you who mourn over her, for you will nurse and be satisfied at her comforting shad. You will drink deeply and delight in her overflowing abundance. So the word shad is used to signify nourishment. A little infant baby is completely helpless, cannot survive, cannot live, if it were not for nourishment of the mother. Shad. So back to the story. Abraham and Sarai did not have the capacity to create life. They wanted to. They tried to but they couldn't. They, they did not have the capacity to create life. So they concocted a plan to help God out, Ishmael. That was man's, man's plan, but God's plan was not man's plan. God didn't want to bless the world through man's plan. God wanted to bless the world through a miracle baby. Amen. He wanted to bless the whole world through a miracle baby. And so out of a response to Here's Abraham thinking, here's my 13-year-old Ishmael. He's, you know, he's a man now, and he's gonna, God's going to bless the whole world through Ishmael, right? And out of that situation, God shows up and says, I am El Shaddai. It's a compound name. El is the singular form of Elohim. Elohim was the name of God that was revealed, and, and we see that was revealed at creation. God can create from nothing. El, there's power to create. He's almighty creator. God can create from nothing. He doesn't need nitrogen and hydrogen and carbon to make anything. He can just make it. That's El. And Shaddai comes from Shad, meaning sufficiency. He's enough. 
He's enough. He's everything we need. He can supply anything we need. So I think maybe a good understanding of El Shaddai is not just he's almighty, but he's almighty enough to materialize anything we need. He's almighty, to, almighty enough to supply what we need to survive. I have a few thoughts about El Shaddai, a few things we learned from this story. Here's number one. God doesn't need your help. It's the other way around. God does not need your help. It is absolutely the other way around. After Abram and Sarai helped God and came up with Ishmael, God says, I'm El Shaddai. I create from nothing. I didn't need you to concoct a plan. I create from nothing. And that's really what we should remember. God can create from, from nothing. He's everything we need. This idea is confirmed in the New Testament. Was it 2 Peter? 2 Peter 1.3. God's power has given us everything we need to lead a godly life. I wish you would memorize this part. God's power has given us everything we need to lead a godly life. Oh, I'd I'd do it, but God's power has given you everything you need to lead a godly life. Well, once this situation changes, I'll be able to go back to church. God's power has given you everything you need to live a godly life. Well, when when, when, I got the other job, then I'll be able to... God's power has given you everything you need to lead a godly life right now. What are you waiting on? You can lead a godly life right now. Right now, you can do it because God's power has given you everything you need to lead a godly life. I'm saying it over and over because I'm hoping to get it in your head because I want you to say it. I say it to myself when I'm discouraged. God's power has given me everything I need. I have it. I have it. And I just pray and I go do the thing that I'm having a hard time doing. God's power has given me everything I need to lead a godly life. I hope it's not offensive here, but let's just face the, the facts. Some of us have a really big butt. Is that okay? Abraham had a big butt. He trusted God, but... I trusted God, but... what? He did. He trusted God enough to move his family. But when it comes to the idea of a miracle baby, <laughs> come on, God. I trust you, God, but I got I to gotta make this happen myself. I don't trust you all the way. Anybody else have a big butt? You trust God, but you keep getting in the way. You get in the way of God's plan. Anytime you go outside of God to help God out, you're going to be hindering the problem. Right now, often I would say, turn to the person next to you and say what I just said, but I'm not going to ask you to do that. <laughs> don't turn to the person next to you and tell them they have a big butt. Don't do that. All right, let's pick the story back up. I want to finish reading that that verse in Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am El Shaddai. Walk, everybody say walk. Walk Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. So God says, I'm El Shaddai. You got to walk though. You got to walk. This is number two. God doesn't need your help, but... He wants your partnership. God wants your partnership, church. We have to walk with God. We got to walk in it. God wants to partner with us. This idea is over and over again confirmed in Scripture. From Genesis to Revelation, God wants to partner with us. I'm not aware of any miracle that God ever did in the Bible that he did absent of participation and partnership with humans, other than creation. And even in the middle of creation, once there was Adam, what did he do? He grabbed Adam and was like, all right, you got to partner with me. 
God did not need Adam to come up with hippopotamus. God could have done it. But he didn't. He wanted to partner with somebody. He's like, all right, come on. Jesus did the same thing. When Jesus had to feed the multitudes, all the disciples came up to Jesus and said, all these people, we got to send them home so they can eat. Does Jesus have the power to say, and everybody's tummies become filled up with pasta? Like, he could do it. Food could just materialize in all the bellies, and I'm so, I'm not hungry anymore. Wow. God could have done it. But instead, he looked at the disciples who brought a problem to him, and, and Jesus looked at the disciples and said, You give them something to eat. Jesus did not feed the 10,000, the disciples did. Read it. All Jesus did was bless it. And he told them, go do it. And they did it. It was their actions that did it. They brought it to God, and they prayed, and they opened it up, and there's Moby Dick laying on the floor. (laughs) They had everything they needed. Because they partnered with Jesus. God wants to partner with us. Do you think God wants to reveal himself to people at your school? Do you think God wants to reveal himself to people at your job? Right. Most of you would say, yeah, yeah, God wants to reveal himself to people at my job. Good. Okay, so you're good with that. Next step. Do you think God's going to do that by way of a really bright light? Do you think he's going to just, there's going to be a glowing light come up during lunchtime? He could, but I've not seen that. Or do you think it's more likely that God uses somebody to speak to the people at your job or school? Yeah, you're not. Okay so, you, okay, so you're good with the fact that God wants to speak to people at work and school, and you're good with the fact that God's going to use somebody to do it. So now, here's the third step. Who do you think God would use? You. Me. Us, the people who are ready. That's who God's going to use. The people that are ready, the people that are willing, the people that are available to God. The people that, in other words, the people that partner with God. The people that partner with him. I like to think of this a little bit like a motion detector light switch. Have you seen these in a lot of public restrooms? They don't want the lights to be left on all the time. So they they replace the light switch with a motion detector. There is power in the room. I'm going to break down El Shaddai. El, there's power in the room. There is power in the room. And the light bulbs are enough, Shaddai. Should I? There's sufficient light for the room. There's power in the room and there's sufficient light in the room, but it's not activated until I walk in it. Amen. El Shaddai is available to each of our lives. There is power and there is enough, but it's not activated until you walk in it. You have to walk in it. God said, I am El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and blameless. Then I'll make a covenant between me and you. Just like a helpless infant gets what it needs from its mother, we get whatever we need from El Shaddai if we're walking with him, if we're close to him. Let me show you another scripture. Psalm 91 says, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of Shaddai. That's what that is. Those who live in the shelter of the Most High Those who who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of Shaddai. This this I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge, my place of safety. He is my God and I trust him. 
So if you need rest from El Shaddai, if you need nourishment from him, if you need him to create something from nothing and give you what you need in your life, you got to live in the shelter. You got to live in the shelter. Another way to say that, just maybe less theological, you got to hang out with God. You got to hang out in the places that God is. James 4, 8 says, if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. We just got to be where he is and do what he wants. Here's the third thing we learned from El Shaddai. Number three, God gives second and third chances. I didn't have room on the slide, but he gives fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh ones too. Some of you know he gives more than that. See, Abraham messed up along the way. I find it kind of funny in Romans. Uh, there's a verse that says, Abraham's faith never, never wavered. But it did. It absolutely wavered. If you read Genesis 12 through 22, that, that man had some, he had some faith, but he had a big butt. He had some exceptions to his faith. His faith absolutely wavered. Yet Romans says it doesn't. Why? I think what Paul is doing is he's looking back. See, when we dissect the story, we see, <laughs> loser. Oh, that has a little bit of faith. <laughs> big butt there. But when Paul was looking back at the life of Abraham, his life was not characterized by his falters. His life was characterized by faith. And all through the New Testament, we see that Abraham, Abraham had it together. Abraham had faith. He wasn't perfect. It wasn't perfect at all, but Abraham was a man of faith. At the end. Sometimes he didn't. But as a whole, he was a man of faith. Aren't you glad that God is a God of second and third chances? messed up as some of us are, we still could be someone of faith. At the end of our life, they could, they, people still could say, you know, one word that re- describes that person is faithful. They really loved God. And they could say that still knowing all the stuff you've done. You could change your life now to characterize who you are. And 25 years went by, Abraham made some mistakes along the way, and God still showed up to him again and said, I'm El Shaddai. I'm enough. Will you trust me this time? We're going to do this this time? And according to the Bible, Abraham fell on his face at the name of El Shaddai. Do you believe God can do it? Do you believe God can do the miracle? Do you believe your Bible? Ephesians 3 says, God... Uh, Not to him who who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Do you believe that God can do more than you can imagine? More than you can think up? Then we trust him. Then we trust him. If you believe the Bible, you have to believe God can do more than you can even imagine. So do you trust him when you don't imagine how he's going to do it? Will you trust him when he doesn't make sense? Will you trust him when he seems to have lost his mind? He's able to do it even if you can't imagine it. He's enough. Will you trust God to be El Shaddai, the almighty sufficient one in your life? He's enough. But the story wasn't over. Here's the second time God tested him. Fast forward to Genesis 22. Ishmael had caused problems and he's been sent away with provisions. And Isaac is born. Everything's going great. Finally, God makes sense. I get it. Abraham probably said, I get it, Sarah. 
It's through this miracle baby. God, God, give us a miracle. We have a miracle baby, Isaac. Now God wants to bless the whole world through Isaac. I get it, Sarah. God, you're making so much sense now. I'm so thankful that you finally make sense all the time. And God says back, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on the mountain. I will show you. God doesn't make sense anymore. Has he lost his mind? Did God lose his mind? See, Abraham's had a few opportunities to understand a little bit about the way God works. Sometimes Abraham learned this, unfortunately, the hard way. But sometimes when things seem darkest, that's exactly where God is. He's close to us. He's near us. And although it seemed like God had lost his mind, Abraham knew a little bit more. See, he was in a very big quandary. He had a theological problem. God's promise to him is about to come to an end if he kills Isaac. This is a theological problem. He had a family crisis. The scripture does not tell us anything about him informing Sarah of this message of God which in fact is probably the only thing about this story that does make sense. Because if he told Sarah, he'd be dead. God said, what? Probably how that would have gone. He had a social crisis. Old crazy man Abe came back from the mountain after killing his son. Why'd you do it, Abe? God said. We call that crazy. This was a social crisis. And Abraham had his own emotional crisis all at the same time. How would you feel if you had to kill your child? This guy was in a rough pickle. But by now, Abraham learned enough about God. It took him long enough, but he learned it. And so we see Abraham's response. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. Immediate obedience. Immediate obedience to God. Hebrews even tells us that Abraham, at that point, Abraham knew and had faith that if he killed Isaac, God would bring him back to life. Which is crazy because up to this point, there had never been a resurrection. Abraham had nothing to compare it to. The idea of resurrection just came up in his mind. He just came up with it himself, I guess. But he knew that God could do it. And he was expecting it. On the way up the mountain, Isaac said to Abraham, little, little boy Isaac said, said Father, Where's the sacrifice? We're going to sacrifice up there. Where's the sacrifice? And and Abraham said, God will provide. What he literally said was, Elohim, Jireh. And Jireh doesn't, the the word most directly uh, translates, does not directly translate to provide. Jireh directly translates to sees. God sees. God will see it meaning God will see it through, God will see to it. God God will see that everything is, is, God will see see it through. I'm not worried about the the ram right now, Isaac, because God will see it through. Elohim, Jireh. Let's pick it up when they get to the top of the mountain, Genesis 22, verse 9. When they reached the place that God told them about, they're on the top of Mount Moriah, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him 
from heaven. Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. This is interesting. This phrase, now I know that you fear God. So God didn't know it before? I thought he was omniscient. How, if, he, if God knows all, and there's nothing that is knowable that he doesn't already know, why does the angel say now God knows that he fears God? God wants to see devotion, not just know it. God is a God of experiences and knowledge. Theology is not just about knowing things about God. It's about knowing things about God. We know God. I know him. There's a lot of people that went to school, studied theology for 12 years. It doesn't mean a lick about their relationship with God. It doesn't mean anything. We have to know God. God is about knowing and knowing. There's a lot of thing that God, things that God knows, but he hasn't experienced. Sin is a, an example of one. God knows all about sin. He took the sin upon himself on Calvary. But if you ask God, hey, hey, Jesus, what's it like to commit a sin? He doesn't know. He has not experienced committing a sin. Before the New Testament, God knew all about humankind, but he didn't want to just be a God of knowing. He wanted to be a God of experiences. So he came to earth. He became a human. And so now we have, according to Hebrews, we have... Uh, we, have a high, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. We have one that sympathizes with our weaknesses, and we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. God has experienced now all of what we go through, everything except the sin. God is a God of knowing and experiences, and God wants to see, experience devotion, not just know it. I think that's what the angel was really saying it wasn't, now God knows it, it's now God has experienced your faithfulness, Abraham. Now God has experienced it. He doesn't just want to know your devotion, he wants to experience it. He wants to see. He wants to see it. See, the word gyra means see. He's going to see it through, he's going to see it. But before there's provision, there's something that he, pre, he pre-visions. He sees something first. And then he responds. What did God see? He saw immediate obedience. Amen. He looked at Abraham this time. He saw immediate obedience. That was the prevision that God had. And then he provided the provision. Genesis 20, uh, 22, verse 13. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. Isn't it amazing that Abraham was going up one side of a mountain, and at the same time, God was causing another solution? And it wasn't until the exact moment that it, the exact moment, Abraham realized it. He didn't hear anything before it. At that exact moment, God was lining it right up. If you're climbing up your mountain wondering, God, where are you? Have you lost your mind? You may not see the other side of the mountain, but there's a ram coming up. You duck and cover, you'll never find out. 
Abraham looked, and there in the thicket, there was a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Or the Lord sees. He sees it through. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Or on the mountain of the Lord, God will see it through. Jehovah-Jireh is the second name of God that was revealed in the midst of this situation in the midst of a confusing time, in the midst of a moment when it seemed like God lost his mind, he revealed his name, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord is our provider. The Lord's the one that sees it through. The one's the Lord that sees to it. For him to have the provision, he had to have the prevision. He saw Abraham's faith and he saw it through. That compound name there means God sees in the sense that God sees to it or or provides Abraham trusted God with the most important thing to him. There was nothing more important to Abraham than this Isaac. Nothing more important. He had been through a lot. This is the most important thing in his life. What's the most important thing in yours? You cannot experience Jehovah Jireh unless you're willing to lay down the most important thing. You don't experience the power of Jehovah Jireh. The Lord sees it through. Until you sacrifice. Could it be you've been waiting five years for something God could do in five seconds if you just finished your sacrifice? Is that that possible? I want to be married. I want to be married. I just, why hasn't someone asked me? I want to be married. Why can't I find a girl that's good? I want to be married. Did you surrender your singleness to God yet? Why would God let you be married? Why would God put you in that position if you haven't surrendered your, your current place to the Lord? Yeah. Or do you have a big butt and you're trying to make it happen? Jumping around or sleeping around, trying to, trying to create. Create it. It's not God's plan. Surrender your singleness to God first. I want my spouse to honor me. I'm the man of the house. I want, I want my wife to honor me. Or, or why doesn't my husband love me? Why would that happen if you haven't surrendered your manhood to God first? Why will that happen if you haven't surrendered your your womanhood to the Lord first? God can do it in five seconds if you finish your sacrifice. I want more money, then I'll tithe. You'll be waiting a while. That's not how that works. That's not how it works. I'd rather live off of 90% of blessed than 100% of not blessed. I want to live off of what's blessed. And if I put God first and I partner with him and God sees first that I partner with him, he sees it through. God sees, Jehovah Jireh. I want a better job. Why would God move you out of your job if you haven't surrendered what's comfortable to you? God put you in your job. Like you're, you are called right where you are. I know because you're there and you're called. We're all called. So wherever we are, we're called at every moment. So you're called at your current place. Why would God give you another opportunity if you haven't done the thing that he called you to do there? Could it be you just have to finish your sacrifice? Maybe you need to sacrifice your comfort. It's it's most comfortable to not tell someone about Jesus. Let's let's be honest. That's comfortable. No one's going to cuss me out. No one's going to look at me dirty. No one's going to call me the goody two-shoes. If I just keep my mouth shut. But if I sac- maybe I need to sacrifice my comfort. 
and make Jesus known at my job. Not in a jerky way. Maybe I just need to share my testimony, and that's the thing. Maybe that's the sacrifice you need to make before God moves you out of that job. God can do it in five seconds if you just finish the sacrifice. He sees it through. Jehovah Jireh doesn't mean that God will provide anything and everything we want. Jehovah Jireh, I have a Lamborghini. Doesn't work that way. That's not what it means. But Isaac was a type of unlocking the blessing. If you read it, after, after God stopped Abraham from sacrificing Isaac, God said, not only do you get to keep Isaac, but there is so much more. The, the, the willingness to give up Isaac unlocked a great, sacrifice, a great blessing, greater than Abraham imagined, greater than he could have imagined. It unlocked a blessing. Do you want a blessing to be unlocked in your life? If you lay down your Isaac and make your sacrifice, it unlocks a greater blessing. Always a greater blessing is a deeper relationship with Jesus. Always. Always. Would you stand with me? I want to show you one more thing. Back in Genesis, there was a verse that said Abraham looked and saw, saw the ram caught in the thicket. And I don't know which direction he was looking, north, south, east, or west. I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But it says he looked and saw the ram, and he said, the Lord sees it through. Jehovah Jireh. He provided what we needed. I don't know which way he was looking, but I think maybe he was looking the same direction as Golgotha little rock over there. It was the same mountain. It wasn't far. It was really close. Mount Moriah, where Abraham was standing, and Golgotha, where Jesus, many years later, was crucified. It's just that rock over there that looks like a skull. has some little eye sockets in it. It wasn't far. I wonder if Abraham looked, saw the ram, and said, God sees it through. And Jesus himself, many years later, Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. So apparently, Abraham had a vision of Jesus. I don't know when he had that vision, but I think maybe it was right there on Mount Moriah. He looked, saw the ram and said, Lord, we'll see it through. The Lord will see it through. Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh was most fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. God will see it through. God sees to it. He sees your partnership, and he sees to it. And he sees, he sees what's needed. And what's most needed is a Savior. See, we're all born with separ separate from God. We've inherited the sinful nature from Adam and Eve. And we're, we're bound for an eternity in hell. But Jesus sees it through. Jehovah Jireh. Now anybody that, uh, although we deserve to die, Jesus died for us. And anybody that points to Jesus as the answer can have everlasting life with him. That's how he wants it. The person 
of Jehovah. Jehovah Jireh is most revealed in the person of Jesus Christ. God sees it through and he saw it through and we can have salvation today. The church can be alive and well. We can be a special and chosen people. Lord, thank you for all that you are, for all that you've done. Lord, we surrender to you. You are all that we need. We surrender all of our pieces to you. We may have messed up along the way, but we know that you still give another chance. You're everything we need, God. So we surrender to you and we worship you. We respond to all that you've done and all that you are with our worship, Lord. We love you and we praise you.